Good evening, everyone. I realize it's uh, it's quite dim uh, where I am. Uh, one of my lamps is out, so I, uh, I my options are are limited, and also uh, I'm afraid I am once again ill this evening with um, migraine. So the lower light is is very helpful, <laughs> comparatively speaking. Also, I have managed to injure my back again, so I am definitely the walking wounded tonight and have um, an excellent opportunity to uh, study uh, this body-mind and the uh, the uh, very subtle and powerful mechanisms of attachment. And of course, the primary attachment is self-attachment or self-clinging. And that is rooted in the primary delusion, which is that of the separate self. So we are encouraged uh, you know, to take every opportunity to look deeply into those phenomena uh, as a way of loosening the grip of this misknowledge with which we are, or anyway, I am uh, afflicted. I think, um, let me see, here we are, March. I don't think I have visited with you since my brother's death in November. And um, uh, that, that was probably one of the, the most significant deaths that I've experienced in my life. Um, and I am now without living family. So all of my family that have entered the realm of the ancestors. Or as they say in um, those who are followers of the the Vodou faith, they say that I would say my brother is now en bas de l'eau, which means under the water. Uh, so for many of those faith traditions, the dead, of course, are not gone, but they are inhabitants of a different realm. And communicating with them becomes rather different from communicating with your neighbor. Uh, also, uh, just uh, just two weeks ago, we lost our beloved uh, temple dog here. Uh, uh, a, uh, 
very in, inoffensive, loving creature that uh, we, well, again, I should speak for myself, that I uh, became quite attached to. And uh, I, was, I was the secondary caregiver. But the, and the primary caregiver also was extremely fond of our little friend. And so the, the, uh, churning of our relationships here on this earth has become quite substantial of late. And Again, I've had a marvelous opportunity to uh, study what Suzuki Roshi meant when he said, we die and we do not die. It's uh, quite important for us as practitioners to... uh, Cultivate in such a way that our insight into both sides of that equation, if you like, um, becomes real for us. Also, I can still hear the voice of uh, the late Thich Nhat Hanh when he visited us at uh, Tassajara uh, during the winter training period in, well, I guess it was 1982. And uh, there we were, somewhat crowded into the dining room. And he was giving kind of an informal talk and he told all of us, you were never born and you will never die. You could call this basic Buddhism, but this is a a critical insight. And um, central to cultivating this kind of insight is, uh, or maybe another way to express the cultivation of this kind of insight is, is what we call studying the self. And one way to do that is uh, to see if uh, is can I see a beginning of this self? 
uh, can I do more than just imagine its end? And above all, can I see anything there that does not change according to circumstance? When we say we were never born, well, then where do we come from? And as I'm sure all of you know, um, as Buddha taught, it begins with ignorance. begins with the primal ignorance concerning the self. And once that ignorance is established, karma begins to flow. And the maybe the first manifestation of that is consciousness. And um, maybe I don't know, maybe there's a space of time in there where we are content just to be consciousness, but I don't think that could possibly last very long. We feel naked and exposed and vulnerable. And therefore, we, using this amazing and almost magical power, We create a name and a form, or if you like, a name and a body to bear that name. And then the rest of our existence flows from there. Around and around and around until the um, the, uh, the karmic symphony of our life comes apart. then there's what we call death.
And um, no sooner does that happen than the vectors of karma once again bring about the arising of a new being. But not totally new. Just as it's said, a candle flame that lights another candle The second flame is neither the same nor different from the source of its ignition. So not everybody is fond of this, you know, such an up-close study of our existence. Um, As a result, uh, uh, people who are um, willing to come together as a sangha committed to this kind of study, well, we're in the minority. A great, great majority of folks would rather either put that off or not think about it at all. There's a story of two, two gentlemen in the long ago who were friends and they had a pact with each other and said that as soon as the first gray hair appeared, they would enter the monastery. But it's best not to wait too long. The upside, of course, of all of this is that... uh, Barring some kind of extraordinary karmic complication, each of us is capable of the insight that Buddha himself or herself achieved. And the result of that, of course, is liberation. We have not only our own effort, but also the 
the powerful efforts of all of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. whose vows to bring about the liberation of all beings have no beginning and no end. And the vows that we take as practitioners join in the powerful powerful stream of the vows that the Buddhas and ancestors have made, are creating an enormous, uh, if you like, river of liberation. And eventually we will see for ourselves that indeed we die and we do not die. A, a remark like that would offend, I'm sure, has offended some uh, some extreme fans of say Aristotelian logic which absolutely rejects contradictions of that kind And that, unfortunately, uh, also rejects the extraordinary spaciousness of this body-mind, which can uh, accommodate all manner of contradictions. There's a uh, story about uh, one of our uh, Indian ancestors in the the long ago, the if you like, the dream time. Uh, the story we tell of our our ancestral lineage is. Um, Well, it's kind of daring because we can't really, we can't prove any of it. And we've decided to include some very famous names. 
So we have Vasubandhu and we have Nagarjuna and we have Ashvakosha. And these are all uh, celebrated uh, teachers and we claim them for our lineage. And so this uh, this fellow Ashwagosha was a, a famous poet back in the day, as well as a Dharma practitioner. And um, he heard that uh, there was uh, this other character around town who was talking about Buddha. And Ashwagosha kept hearing this this word or this name, Buddha, or, you know, Shakyamuni, who had passed away by then, but his, his fame lived on. So Ashwagosha goes to see this chap uh, whose Sanskrit name was Unyayashas. And... Uh, He finally tracks down Punyayashas and he, he goes up to him and he says, uh, I I want to find out about this Buddha. Who who is that? And uh Punyayasha says, uh that not knowing? That's it. And Ashwagosha thought right away, I smell a contradiction here. So he says, well, if it's, uh, you know, just not knowing, how does one ever realize this? Punyayasha says, Oh, that's good. You will recognize that contradiction. That's good. Asphagosha was not satisfied. And after waiting for a bit more, and there's nothing forthcoming, so he says, This is like working a two-man saw back and forth. Punyayasha says, 
nods and says, Yeah, wouldn't. And then he says, well, uh, Punyayasha says, uh, what do you mean sawing? It's like a two-person saw? And Ashwagosha says, well, that's, I'm, I'm envisioning the, when the disciple comes forth as equal to the master. And Punyayashas thinks, oh, there's something brewing here. And then Ashwagosha says, and anyway, what did you mean, wooden? Punyayasha um, is silent for a long time. And then he says, You are released. And Asvagosha, it says in the text, had a profound internal insight. It does not elaborate on what an internal insight, uh, what internal insight is meant, but I think his internal insight was into himself. And in the context of the disciple coming forth and meeting the teacher eye to eye. This was uh, just like the sixth ancestor, Hui Nung's famous meeting with his disciple. Nanyue, Huai Rong, the, the great Nanyue. When he told Nanyue, I am thus, you are thus too. Uh, somewhere in um, Kazan's commentary on this story, he says, uh, and uh, Asvagosha was suddenly freed from the pit of ordinariness. So it is said, then he hung out with Punyayashas for 
a number of years and in future times, he would be called the 12th ancestor in our lineage. <clears throat> So contradictions like we die and we do not die between them generate a spark. There's a, you know, between those, if you like, two poles, there's an arc of light. And that, that arc illuminates the body-mind. So our sitting is in itself kind of a contradiction. Surely we should be doing something. No. Other followers of the Buddha way, well, they do prostrations and they chant and they go on pilgrimages and they they wall themselves up in caves and stuff how can we just sit well because of the spark generated between we die and we do not die we sit as illuminated beings. And eventually we see how it is that the that and other similar contradictions resolve. And they resolve as this body-mind is not other than Buddha. Anyway, that's what I say tonight. I hope that you are all well. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Reverend Soan made it back from the wilds of Europe.
I don't think I'm going anywhere, but you never know. I think Malia has a, a little friend there. Hello there, sweetheart. Who is that? This is Ned. He's a dog. Oh, yes, I see. I think uh, our pets bring us so many special blessings, you know. And um, I don't know, seems to me nowadays, especially, we can use all the blessings we can get. Reverend Soan has a question. Uh, sure. I'm just fiddling with my controls here. Your audiovisual person keeps putting my my mug in the middle of the screen, and I hate that. So I'm going back and forth here, by <laughs> shrinking my picture. But to please uh, uh, go ahead, uh, Soan Soan. Thank you. Well, I just wanted to mention for the sake of the assembly that if they wanted to review the story you told, that they could read it in a book called The Record of Things Heard. Uh, and there's several translations of that book uh, around, including in our library. So you could check it out. Is it, uh, is it in that uh particular collection rather than the transmitting the light collection? Oh, uh, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That well, is an, I have been on a, many airplanes in the yes. last little while, and right. so the brain is not actually... Yes, thank you. Sure. Whatever you said, uh, yeah, that record, Den Koroku. Den Koroku, the record of transmitting the light. Uh, right. It's a magnificent text full of marvelous stuff. Um, many contradictions that we can warmly sit with and be illuminated by. So it's highly mm. recommended. But anyway, that wasn't my question. Um, okay. That was just for the sake of confusion, I suppose. But mm -hmm. anyway, um, so, was, you know, we were recently in the in the study group here. We were recently uh, reading um, uh, uh, the the Vimalakirti Sutra and uh, uh, sort of in in that confirming uh, your 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 thesis uh, Tonight, uh, at the at the end of um, at least one chapter and maybe maybe several chapters, after the teaching of non-duality is offered, um, the uh, selected the assembled bodhisattvas are said. Uh, it, it is said that uh, all five hundred or thousand or however many are assembled at that time, infinite numbers sometimes. Um, uh, achieves a, a complete um, 
awareness of the birthlessness, the birthlessness of things. Mm-hmm. They they come they they achieve really insight into the birthlessness of everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so so my question is, um, even though you know that's so. Um, uh, on one level, it's it's also true. It seems to me, and this is what I ask you: is is it not is it not is it not also true that though we there we are you know on some level never born or never die, are we not constellated? And isn't this constellation something that? Is uh, at the core of our study. Mm. Well, uh, constellation is a good choice of expressions because constellations are, how do I say, a mere appearance. And depending on where on where we stand on the earth, it looks like up there in the heavens at night, there's a configuration of stars. And yet they are nowhere near each other. And in a few, I don't know, 100,000 or million years, that constellation is no longer visible because the constituents have moved into another configuration. And so it is with us. That is my understanding of the teaching. But aren't we still astronomers? Yes. Oh, I, yes, I would, I would, I would be very unhappy if discovering that those constellations are basically in our minds meant that people would no longer look at them. That would be a true shame. So I, well, not tonight because I I feel horrible, but maybe tomorrow I will go and read once again um, that great poem, When I Heard the Learned Astronomers. My brain isn't working very well either. Who is that by? It's not Whitman, is it? Is it? Walt Whitman? The consensus here in the room seems to be Walt Whitman. Uh, It's a marvelous poem. And kind of speaks to what you're raising, Jim. Thank you. I'll, I'll look at it. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, good evening, Reverend Mio. Your your talk was just so interesting and inspiring, especially in the wake of my father passing last month. So oh, thank you for that. Blessings and on him. On thank his you. Yes. So um, I was just wondering, um, I'm sorry to hear about your brother passing also. And do you get that sense of he, he did he did die and he didn't die? Yes. Um, 
just let me see, just a few, two, three days after his death, I had one of those uncanny experiences. Just sitting here in this very room from which I am speaking to you now. And I felt an overwhelming sense of his presence. Such as I have never felt when he was alive. And it was unmistakable and quite extraordinary. And this felt like the we do not die part. Yeah, I've had a similar kind of experience um, with my dad, a a dream afterwards. And then uh, I did say a few words at his funeral. And I, I mentioned how excellent his penmanship was. And we found this little document when he was in elementary school. It said, you know, he had won an award back then for best penmanship. Marvelous. And and uh, I noticed my penmanship is awful, but I've noticed since since saying that my penmanship is shifting. And so I just feel like that's his presence there in a way. Excellent. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, well, not to go into too much personal detail, but my brother's death did reveal a side of him I had suspected, but did not, had not really seen before. Uh, in the uh, quite extraordinary outpouring of affection for him. There must have been more than 200 people at his funeral and something like uh, 20 priests from the San Francisco Archdiocese. Uh, and the the funeral was presided over by the Archbishop. And person after person kept coming up to me and saying how how much they had appreciated him. And I kept thinking, my brother? This is your talk my brother you're talking about. <laughs> but that too was a kind of, oh, also we don't die. Maybe on that note, we can say goodnight unless there's maybe one more question. As I say, I hope all of you are well, and then I will put my throbbing head to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs>